Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 94 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. And joining us tonight, he is the director of the 2020 Fright Fest Glasgow selection, A Ghost Waits, it's Mr. Adam Stovall. Adam, hello. Hi. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Oh, hey. Thanks for coming. And thanks for making your way specifically to HQ to do it. It's the first transatlantic guest we've had within these four walls. I feel honoured. I yeah. could reach out and touch the guest. I won't. I know my boundaries. Oh, we're there's, hugging. There's coronavirus. <laughs> there will be uh, hugs. We'll be defying um, medical advice later. <laughs> we would celebrate the moment and welcome the transatlantic guest into the fold with a glass of iron brew. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes. Let's Jim. do it. Cheers. Cheers. Just like mom made it. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I chose iron brew is because I can't drink whiskey. All right. Okay. Mm, I yeah, find okay. it unpalatable. Um, and uh, difficult to drink. Okay. So uh, yeah, that's Iron Brew. Yeah, here we are. Adam. Yes. You have chosen Gremlins 2, the new match. I have. We, are, or Andy at least, was prepared for your arriving. On the table here in front of us, we have a um, couple things. Uh, the novelization of the film Gremlins 2. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the very, By very... David Biscoff. Biscoff. And we're also joined in person by the Brain Gremlin. Yeah, yes. Uh, celebrating yep. the moment. That's all we want, a little... Civilization. But a class. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about why you chose this one. Because when I asked you to do this, you, when I explained it, what we what we do, you said yes. And then literally about a minute later, you were like, can we do Gremlins 2? <laughs> so, Gremlins 2 is legitimately one of my favorite movies of all time. Okay. Uh, I mean, top five. Do the Right Thing, uh, Fargo Slash, A Serious Man, Gremlins 2, The Graduate. I genuinely love this movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Gremlins do it, an esteemed it has, uh, company there. It has informed so much. And we'll, I mean, we'll get into it, but like, it honestly has informed so much of my sensibility. And it's not a thing. I mean, when I, I saw it when I was a little boy. Right. And I saw it in the theater. I saw it opening weekend, I'm pretty sure. And enjoyed the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. But as I have gotten older and my understanding of cinema and storytelling and how stupid both of those things are <laughs> has grown. Um, it's like my, whenever like I get asked advice for young filmmakers, like, Oh, don't make movies. It's dumb. Um, <laughs> it's just don't do it. Have a normal life. It's great. No, I, it's so wonderful. And I can throw it in if I'm sick, if I'm like right now, if the world's on fire, you know, like just anything. And it will, it will lift my spirits. It reminds me of the, th- of like joy. Yeah. 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 Daniel Clamp's apocalypse tape has never been more prescient than it is this week. And that was a that was a satire of Trump, like yeah, way absolutely. back when. Yeah. yeah. Mitch, tell me about your exposure to Gremlins 2. I just watched it for the first time. Oh yeah? Yep. What was that like? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was uh it was really something. I a lot of the time uh I haven't seen the films that uh people pick. Mm-hmm. Uh generally like I'm a little bit of a latecomer to horror and kinda of films in general, me too. to be honest. Yeah. Oh cool. Um and uh Andy is completely the other way. 
Andy's seen everything. I've seen almost nothing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I mean, like, you can. We've done ninety four episodes of this, so you can confidently say that I've seen ninety four films. After that, kind of grey. So yeah, we watched it. Uh, literally, we uh, the credits rolled about five minutes before we came to get you tonight. I'll get exactly. So it's fresh. It's yeah, yeah. it's very fresh. Oh boy. I kind of, I kind of, I kind of feel like I'm still kind of reeling from it. Sure. But, uh, yeah. I had to give you a quick pressy on Gremlins before we. Because I have, as I have well. seen Gremlins, but not since I was very young. Yeah. Uh, so basically, right before we started, I was like, "Wait, hang on a minute. Can I have a previously on just so I can?" <laughs> yeah. To get myself back on the map, but um, Andy, what about you? The same as Adam, I saw it in the cinema when I was when was this 1990? So I'd have been somewhere nine or ten. Um, my gran took me to see it, um, and she managed to negotiate with a ticket guy to let me in. I think it was one of the earliest 12s. I was still too young for that, but I was let in anyway. And I can tell you right now, I don't mind telling you that it's so removed from Gremlins, which I love, love, love with all my heart. I hated this film the first time I saw it. Really? I couldn't get my, my head around the fact that they kind of stepped away from it being a scary monster film to mm-hmm. being a silly monster film and it was only as i got older that i realized what the point of it all was mm. and that vexed I, nine-year-old grew into like a more refined palette 20 year old kind of thing i just i think i just embraced the, the nihilism madness helps <laughs> i just embraced the madness of gremlins too and I, and yeah and now i like adam i love it but not perhaps i wouldn't say it's entered my top five uh i still yeah. hold gremlins in high regard but certainly the gap between them has closed for me. Okay, yeah. okay. Uh, Adam, we make everyone who comes on the show do one thing before we start. Okay. Uh, you are no exception. Everyone has done this to varying levels of success. Okay. So what? basically, this is set out to be for the benefit of anyone who is listening to this episode without having seen the film. Okay. So how we play it from here is that Andy puts 30 seconds on the clock and we task you. I'm going to count you in, basically, and we're going to look for you to give us a 30-second synopsis of Gremlins 2. Okay. You look completely unfazed by that. This is the kind of attitude, that's the attitude I like. Are you good to go? Sure. Okay, three, two, one, go. Nonsense descends on capitalism and nonsense wins. If you want to expand... You quite know. a lot of seconds left. You, know. <laughs> you have the time um, to do so. Yeah, the Billy from the first movie uh, moves to the big city and the gremlins follow. Somehow Grismo finds his way to New York City. Gets gets to the Clamp building, which is not the Trump building, but is totally the Trump building. Uh, gets water poured on him, spawns a bunch of gremlins, and... Time. There you go. Chaos reigns. I'm happy. Happy with that. So, let's get into this. And what I think is, it's an interesting start, in that you have a fully animated Warner Brothers opening mm-hmm. thing. And, like, with the beginning and end of this, as a percentage of the overall runtime of the film, it's not insignificant for the title card. Yeah. Um, what's, the, what's the story with this? Like, what, like, like why is this here? So... And let me just begin by saying to my, this is all to my understanding. Yes, that's fine. I do not know Joe Dante, but I have spent enough of my life loving this movie and reading about it. So Gremlins was a massive hit and a complete surprise in that regard. They did not think it was going to find the audience it did. And so obviously when it made a ton of money, the studios immediately said, we want to make a sequel. And Joe Dante said, oh, no, thank you. (laughs) <laughs> and so they said okay like and they went to this person and this person and this person and this person and it never quite fit and joe went off and made other movies mm-hmm. and he was working on the set he was working on the set the lot he was working on the uh the warmbers lot on something else and you know just paths crossed the producers and they said we can't like we really want to do this what do you want and he said oh and he was just like 
I don't want to do this. So final cut. They're like, yeah. And this budget. Yeah. And I want to make a live action Looney Tunes cartoon. Sure. Whatever. Just make a Gremlins 2. So Gremlins 2 exists as a film that is so angry at its own existence. (laughs) (laughs) And every bit of it is just like. And so, yeah, like it, perf- it makes sense because this whole thing really is an homage to that, you know, that that school of storytelling. Mm-hmm. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> great, but probably nothing more sets this film stall out for what you're going to see in comparison to the first film. Joe Dante has since said he prefers Gremlins to to Gremlins, which I think is admirable, especially going in with that that kind of mindset mm-hmm. to then turn it around and say, "I had a fucking blast with that. I prefer the final product." Yeah. Let's go. Yep. But yeah, it certainly is a very different beast from the opening. I mean, how many times in your life have you been like, I don't really want to do this. And then in the end, you're like, that was fantastic. I'm so glad I made that. You know, I was talked into making that decision or Mm -hmm. whatever. Like, it wouldn't be the movie that it is. You can feel the joy that he's having. Yeah. He's, it's literally getting away with it, the movie. (laughs) 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 Have you seen the uh, Key and Peele sketch? Oh, yes. When that happened, that was sent to me by so many people because I'm vocal in my love of yeah. this movie. So yeah. my my jean jacket, I when I got it when I got it, I decided to put some enamel pins on it to wear it like an army jacket. Right. So it's like things that I love. So don't panic on a lapel, uh-huh. you know, RBG's descent pin. But then I have a gremlin on my over my chest, over my heart. It's beautiful. That's <laughs> really poetic. Uh, straight in, and we uh, meet Mr. Wing. We do, yeah. I'm yeah. Appro- approached uh, by Daniel Clamp via Lackey Foster. By Robert Picardo. Yes, absolutely. Not just a Lackey. <laughs> Show some respect. <laughs> Arguably the true villain of the piece. Foster. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would say that. No, I would say that's fair. No, I mean, he like, finds it, love. He has like a whole well, arc. We'll get to that. I, I, that, makes, me, that makes me very uneasy. <laughs> like, this is going to be your first three-hour podcast. We'll get to that, but that is unsavory. <laughs> He's not hurt anybody. You know what? <laughs> yeah. <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs> I bring the poetry. It's why I came over. <laughs> kind of fosters the delivery vessel for a TV, which includes Daniel Clamp's face. Just what I say here, John Glover as Clamp is amazing. Yep. Yes. Amazing. Um, also, yeah, Gizmo here while this negotiation is going on. Caged. Watching Rambo. He's not... Really caged. No, nah, it's true. I think he's being hidden he's from being. He's in a cage. Yeah. He's, he's chilling in his open <laughs> cage. He's free. To, I, I imagine at this point, he's free to come and go as he likes. Yeah, I would say. I would say that's Within true. the boundary of Mr. Wing's shop. Yeah. And speaking of Mr. Wing's shop, they're trying to buy him over. He is not having it. No. Uh, no he's been, presumably been there for a long, long time. Yeah, pretty steadfast. However, he's not there for much longer because after a six-week chronology hop, he's gone. Well, he's dead. Yes, he's gone. He's dead. <laughs> Literally, he's away. And um, you made it sound there though as if he'd finally went like that. Oh, well, the money <laughs> retired. <was> <laughs> finally, you had to figure I had in mind. I'm out here, I'm gonna leave my mogwai behind and hit the road. Like the, the actual kind of like the first look that you get of Gizmo kind of fleeing is so good. I think when he kind of gets out of there and kind of breaks into a run. <laughs> I think it's really quite sad the first time you see Gizmo in the aftermath of Mr. W- or learning about Mr. Wing's death. And he's kind of just alone there in the remain, like what remains of his life, really, amongst the curios and weirdly a massive amount of cobwebs. But it's it's really touching. That's only apart from Billy's house. That's the only home he's ever known. Yep. Um, I I love puppetry. Hmm. Like probably the two biggest influences in my youth were Looney Tunes and uh, the Muppets. 
Okay. And the puppetry of Gizmo, his eyes, the work on it, just like he's a puppet that can break your heart. You know, just all of it registers. I mean, like it's a puppet that can do a wordless take. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is incredible. And yeah. actually, some of the puppet work on Gizmo in this film is amazing. I say wordless take, he doesn't say a word. And he makes noises, but well. yeah. I mean, that's the greatest thing. Like, as a kid, puppetry and that sort of like animation teaches you empathy because it's all about the face. Well, I famously did a puppetry course. That was my, that was how I saw my life panning out. I had an yeah. idea of working on the Muppets. That's kind of where I wanted to wind up. So I, I took a two-year course in puppetry with that in mind. What was that like? Cool. How I mean, did I not get... know that about you? Did you not know that about me? Nope. Well, there you go. You learn something new every day. Shitty. Gizmo spends a lot of this, a lot of time in this film taking shit from people physically. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really traumatic in my opinion, personally. <laughs> yeah, my wife finds gremlins too. Most of, I mean, he gets tortured quite badly in the first film, but she finds this one especially difficult to watch. Yeah, I, like, I, like, I agree. I agree. And it's, and it's th- totally the reason that that works is because of what you were saying. Like, for a puppet, it does say so much with its face. Yeah. And I'm gonna, I'll, I'll make a connection that's maybe never been made before, but it's similar to Shawshank Redemption, where <laughs> the message is, you know, you stay true to yourself and your friends, and, like, the world is a shitty place full of injustice, but, like, if you stay true to yourself and your friends, you will eventually get into the rain and, like, sit on a beach and be fine. Yeah. You know, like, Gizmo takes an unending stream of shit in this movie. He doesn't have to crawl through it literally like Andy Dufresne did. But at the end, he's there with his friends watching the bad people be vanquished by the elements and ingenuity. And he gets to be with Billy again, who he loves. Like, what a beautiful thing. See, in the last few weeks on the show, we have had now uh, someone comparing Gremlins to, to the Shawshank Redemption. We've had someone compare the Garbage Pail Kids to the Nightingale. Oh my god. Yep. And uh, also somebody comparing Roland Emmerich's Godzilla to uh, the work of Michael Haneke. So... Uh, everyone is like everyone. those for the flight back. Every every everyone is drawing like incredible comparisons <laughs> yeah. right now. So you're saying though, in fairness as well, we catch up with Billy here and yeah. also Kate. Yeah, Billy and Kate both working at the clamp building. Yeah, the the the, the clamp building an absolute an absolute sprawling metropolis, a city into itself. Mm-hmm. Well, it has everything: cable network, menswear, it its own jams and jellies. <laughs> it has a genetics laboratory. Crucially, yep. Vital, vital. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell you what, I, oh. I solely miss Phoebe Cates as a screen presence. Yeah. Um, she was one of my earliest loves. Mm-hmm. Phoebe Cates, Debbie Harry, and the women for the Bangles. Susanna Hoffs. Yeah. 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 It's weird, I guess, being a little boy. Like, I never had the crush on Phoebe Cates that other people did because, well, I saw Fast Times at Richmond High much sure. later. Mm-hmm. I saw it in like 20s or something. But I knew her as Billy's girlfriend. Like, she was my friend. And, you know, I mean, not Rick Springfield, but, you know, tr- most of us try not to lust after our friends. <laughs> no, no, no. He, he, he famously... He was pretty shameless about that stuff. <laughs> pretty sure he still does it at casinos around the country. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but Billy seems to be kind of like... Uh, Is he an architect? An architect, mm-hmm. maybe? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does the sketches for the architect. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, and Kate gives tours of the building while wearing an extremely vivacious hat with a skyscraper on it. <laughs> The hat's one of my favourite things in the film. Yeah, I am also a fan of the hat. It's an excellent, it's an excellent, excellent wardrobe choice. Uh, yeah, rapid fire character introductions going on here. Marla, Marla Bloodstone, Haviland <laughs> Morris again. Actually, I think thinking about it now, I really can't think of a weak link in the cast. Every yeah. single actor from Billy all the way down to fleeting cameos from John Aston. Yeah. Everyone's really, really strong. And I'd say, I mean, between Clamp and Haviland Morris here as Marla for the strongest performances in the film. I mean, nothing against irony, 
but the earnestness with which this movie was made, you can feel his heart behind mm-hmm. every decision, you know, because he got to make exactly, you know, this very special kind of bauble. Yeah. And it it's the casting. It's the casting and the characters. He loves every bit of it and you can feel it. I would say that though about Joe Dante kind of across the board. Oh yeah, matinee? Yeah, and the bobs. Like, every single performance in the bobs yeah. is amazing and you care about everyone. Yep. Also in amongst all of this, we meet uh, Grandpa Fred, the kind of crypt keeper uh, <laughs> for the K-Hole Network um, and aspiring news anchor. You yep. were taking notes. Uh, just at the end of the scene with Marla, like when Foster comes along and like crumples up Kingston Falls and chucks it in the bed like so much trash. And uh, weirdly, uh, you can't have a photo, like a drawing of your hometown, but you can smoke on the floor, like, which is fine. But like you glanced up from taking notes and Grandpa Fred was on the screen and you were like, what's going on? What is going on? And I had to explain that he was like this kind of Elvira Gulaldi type character, like this horror host. I was genuinely like, I was, I was like scribbling something being like, oh, I see that, like, you know, there's an, there's an office politics uh, element of this. And then I looked up and I was like, wait, why is that old guy dressed like a vampire? <laughs> was like, this Which is does get us to the, have a camera. I am a camera. Oh. Like, oh. Getty, what an Abbey in this film. He's got form for doing this before. He played Long Duck Dong and yeah. 16 Candles, which is a shocking part. Problematic all the way to yeah. the bank. Yeah. yeah. And I, I yeah. feel like he hasn't stepped too far out of that yeah. in this role. It's, uh, to say it's a broad stereotype, I think, is fair. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to fight you on that point. By the way, did you notice Henry Gibson from The Burbs getting fired for smoking? Uh, in the basement when he could have just got a job on a higher floor and he'd have been he'd have been fine. He could have smoked. I think it helps if you're an attractive redhead lady. She's attractive. Yeah, but to answer your question, of course I didn't notice that. <laughs> I mean. I do you not just live for cameos by Magnolia cast members in the movies Because I do. You know, and, you know what? You know what? I don't. It's one of my quirks. <laughs> um, also, yeah, you were talking about the fact that um, in the Clamp Building, which is a building for all seasons, it's all things to all men. Sure. Uh, splice of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Upstairs, the lab, uh, and Doctor Catheter specifically. There's some pretty unethical shit going on in here. What about the cow that wears a hat that kind of reads its thoughts and it walks by and it says like, "I am calm and centered." I enjoy giving milk. <laughs> Everything that goes on in the lab is hilarious. There's a bit later where Dr. Catheter walks in with a giant pea pod and it just blows my mind every time. <laughs> this is Christopher Lee doing this and the weird twins from Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. What I would say is, um, and like uh, like, we say, like we were saying earlier, it's like I've, I've, I've seen this the one time, mm-hmm. like not, not an hour ago. And I would say that the first thing that I thought when it ended was I was like, I really need to watch this again to catch all the things in the background that I missed. Because like, there's like, because you pointed out pretty early on that kind of like the things that are coming over the tannoy and stuff like that were all yeah. really funny. And like, there's so much background stuff that in the kind of way that like you have to watch Airplane five or six times. Yeah. To catch everything. I kind of feel like I'd have to do that with this. But then I still watch this film now. And I've seen this film probably 25 times, maybe more. And I still see things that I either hadn't noticed at the time or had forgotten about. And they crack me up all over again. Little things like Mm. the monkeys being called Alvin, Simon and Theodore in the lab. 
just little things that, that just kind of pass me by perhaps at the time but are so funny on reflection mm-hmm. yeah yeah and speaking of those they figure pretty heavily next because they're used as a diversion when billy rescues gizmo save him for the oh, same that's, that's a bit down the line yeah well he what? figured like of course gizmo has the... a wee dance to fats domino oh god we can't, we can't blow past that actually nope. that's that, that's remarkable that deserves a moment <laughs> that there's one of the finer examples of how well that puppet functions in the five six years in between gremlins and gremlins 2 all the puppet work across the gremlins as well is just so so superior and the design of the gremlins in this across the board is brilliant especially some of the let's call them the custom gremlins yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah that is that's you're right that is an amazing moment and it's an amazing piece of puppetry it really is at that point, yeah, the reason that Billy kind of susses out that Gizmo is in the building is that um, he catches a delivery guy whistling kind of like his tune. That's right, isn't is it? Is that yeah. Tuco from Breaking Bad? I have no idea. But basically, like, he, he kind of figures out that something's going on, figures out that that's where he is, saves Gizmo from a life of experimentation, but does also immediately jam his hand in a filing cabinet. Yep. <laughs> Just <laughs> continuing passage of shit that he's going to have. Yeah. yeah. Like, he, can't, he can't really do anything, like, Gizmo without being injured in some way, like... He falls down lift shafts, he's just clumsy to an extent that is saddening, this little creature who, I mean, when I was young, there wasn't a moment really where I didn't believe that Gizmo was a real thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's such a convincing characterization yeah. uh, that you, I think that's what adds to the, the, the pathos you feel towards Gizmo. I mean, one could argue... And we're going strictly off interpretation. But <laughs> That's what, I, this, this, this is what we like. These are the moments. But like, one could argue that Gizmo is more more well rounded character than Billy. Bill, I sure. think Gizmo has a much more full life, uh, internal interior ex- as well. Uh, but Billy, between the two movies, you know, he's never quite there. You know, he's he's never quite. You know, I mean, especially the first one. He's wanting to get to the city. He doesn't feel like he belongs where he is. Mm. And even with Phoebe Cates, who he loves, it's a common thing for for a man in his his teen years and in his twenties, like to not really know how to love someone that he loves. Mm. You know, Billy has not figured out who he is. He has ideas of what he wants to be, but for having gone through the shit of two movies. He's still remarkably unformed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He uh, it's that he has <laughs> Wow. It's pretty damning. It's true. He has this small town naivety that I kinda of feel Kate's like the big city should have beaten that out of him by now. Well, I feel I feel like Kate's got it down m- more. Yeah. She feels she feels more grounded. Well, cause cause he got kind of the job he wanted. Yeah. So he has that like, you know. It's called white male entitlement of like, well, I don't know, I show up and things go my way. What do you want? Whereas like Phoebe Cage <laughs> is like, I don't fucking... know, everybody wants to be inside of me and I can't get a decent job. Look at my fucking hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really, it's quite damning. That's, I mean, you're right. No, but that is, that is a very interesting point though as well. That the distinction between him and uh, Kate is that you're right. That it's like he has been shielded from yeah. so much of the shit that she hasn't been shielded from. And what's really interesting, like, she has been through the shit. You know, she te- she has that story in the first movie about her dad. She <laughs> has genuinely struggled and suffered. So she is a bit more equipped to meet up, meet head on yeah. what's going on. Except that the, like, the huge gag of her character is that she's never equipped for anything almost. Yeah, she's you know, so she broken. has the, yeah. the, the, Link, the Lincoln story, the, uh, the President's Day thing, which just makes no sense. But in a way that's amazing given you know, the first movie. Like, yeah. Max, I've just been reminded of uh, some of that unethical genetic experimentation, which is when they're feeding electric cheese to rats. Yeah, that was what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. And, using, and using them to power light bulbs. Yeah, like like ratteries. 
Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, it's very good. Rattlies. Excellent. I feel like Electric Cheese needs to be a band name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the name of my prog band. <laughs> um, playing in its entirety, our second album, Dreams of the Wilderbeast. <laughs> By the way, uh, Jackie, my wife, she proposed the frankly horrible notion that Gizmo should be euthanized because he's a danger. Wow. Yeah. I was clattering in with those reality checks. Yeah. She's like, all it takes is a bit of rain. He's a liability. Man, like, that would be quite the antagonist for G3. My wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically. <laughs> like, that's... I've never thought, but yeah, like, I can totally see... Yeah. Whew. Yeah, yeah, like, um, oh. there, could be, there, could be like, there could be, like, a government authority... The gremlin who went to youth well, and just, like, just like that one character that's like, Why haven't we killed this yet? This should not exist. And it's like, Well, but he's, oh, but he's cute, though. He's so cute. And yeah. like, you know, he makes all you gotta do is not let it become the green scaly things. We should have more mogwise. It's like, Okay, well, how do we do that without getting the green scaly things? I find it, I always find it quite interesting. That we could write it, guys. We could make it. No matter that's what, what. This, that's, what the, that's what this podcast is gonna be now. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> No matter what happens, right, when water makes comes into contact with Gizmo, he spawns other Mogwai. Yeah. But they're never ever good. He seems like is he an anomaly? Is he an anomalous Mogwai? And Oh god, that is the American mindset, isn't it? Like, I'm good, my friends are good, everyone else is trash. <laughs> yeah. I mean This is all getting a little bit nihilistic, isn't it? I what did I say? The nihilism yeah. helps. Nihilism helps. That's a nihilistic um, film. It's yeah, like no, it's one of my favorites for a reason. Like you can get, you can do this. It's deeply silly to do it for this movie, though, which is why I love it. <laughs> but that's why it's fun. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, no, that's that's a really valid question. Like, why aren't there other good ones? And are there other good ones? But they get turned into, you know, they go through the demon chrysalis of eating food after midnight. Then they become the the gremlins. They become they they switch from Mogwai to gremlin, and then they're bad. But so. Don't eat after midnight. Yep. Well, come on to that. Because and time I... is a construct anyway, so... Yeah, yeah. Come, come on to that, because I do want to talk a little bit about the logic of some of the rules surrounding the Gremlins. But we'll touch on that kind of when we get to that point in the story. Namely the point where uh, Billy is berated quite heavily for coming across like an insane man. Uh... <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> One of my favourite like visual things happens around here because uh, Clamp comes in uh, to the office, sees kind of Billy's work, is very impressed with it, all that's going well. Billy and Marla, <laughs> Billy and Marla head out. Yeah, uh, Marla invites Billy out for Canadian food. <laughs> so poutine. Um, that restaurant. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, I just the the visual just like hit my head when you said it. I like the moose. Yeah. And, yep. Yep. Oh. Instead of the glasses, they've got like what looks like big timber tankers. She drops like the Jessica Rabbit hair. Oh, Jesus. But she's yeah. still like, oh man, yeah. it's just the best movie. Powerful stuff. Um, but yeah, when when they head out, who else? Shit never happened in Lawrence of Arabia, did it? <laughs> where where are you at, David Lean? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he also he, he, um, he tells Kate to take Gizmo home. That that goes disastrously. But what I like is uh, when you see the kind of drawer to the filing cabinet open and uh, Gizmo obviously about to rappel down the side of it using a rope that he's made from uh, a chain of paper clips. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you just see it getting like, thrown over the edge of it, it's so cool. Which, like, as a kid, is the most relatable thing. Oh, my God. But Gizmo here showing 
that he's not to be trusted because Billy basically gives him one instruction. Wait here, someone's going to come and get you. He could have said it was Kate because they know each other. So maybe Gizmo would have been... Again, Billy, not big on details. Yeah, yeah he would have been <laughs> nope. maybe more likely to wait for someone he knows. <laughs> not, um, a, not a detail-oriented An man. undefined person at an undefined <laughs> time will do an undefined thing, Gizmo. And a building you that. don't know. <laughs> but he takes that opportunity to go for a walk. Like, stay in the fucking drawer. Yeah, look what happens when he does. Yeah, he goes for a wander, and John Aston turns up as a janitor who I know you don't, you're not a fan of characters just talking to themselves. I do hate that, yeah. But John Aston does it here, and it's it's all gold. I'm not convinced there was any of it written. I think they just went, do your stuff. Yeah. And he just went off in a. While he's talking to himself and trying to fix the drinking fountain, he destroys a drawing and also soaks Gizmo. Actually, I think he des- he destroys Billy's Chinatown drawing. Yes, aye, that's right. Um, that Daniel right. Clamp so loved. Yeah. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. effectively, kind of assumed that we would see some kind of uh, some kind of blowback from that. <laughs> I think the events of the following day. The kinda, lead scene, yeah. 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 <laughs> make these small details not matter quite so much. <laughs> Withdrawn. The, the very end of the movie used to be, what happened to that drawing I loved? What? You're fired. <laughs> Credits! <laughs> Directed by Joe Dante. You, this is the way that you use it! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, at this point, uh, here come a shitload more uh, Mogwais. Yeah, yeah, and we have characterization in our Mogwai here, whereas in the first film, they're all much of a muchness, except for Stripe, who we know because he has a funky white mohawk. And this one you have... Uh, I mean, you you, you kind of characterised them better than I ever could. I mean, I, I mean, uh, as we went on, it did. Like, I, I was, like, it was pretty rudimentary to begin with because the first thing that I had was a bug-eyed one and a very evil-looking one. So it, sure. I did, like, I think, sure. like, like, I think I named some of them quite well, but it wasn't all gold. Daffy will never not make me laugh. Daffy. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. And, uh, is, is Daffy the one that I had as drunk gremlin? Yeah. yeah. Oh, is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I'm I'm happy with Daffy. Like, if that's the well, name that's been established as canon, I'm happy to go with Daffy. <laughs> if you take the novelization as canon, I can tell you that the one with the googly eyes is in fact called Daffy in the book. Happy with that. The buck-toothed one and the evil one. Yep. Um, they're George and Lenny. Like a light of Mason Man. Yeah. Excellent. And the one with the mohawk, not the cleverest name, Mohawk. Fine. So they're your kind of four key mogwai here who will crop up variously throughout the film. Yeah, okay, good, good. This is a serious gear shift from here on out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's the, it's the, I think it's the first of two pretty serious gear shifts. Yeah, Billy, uh, he flees the restaurant quite quickly when Marla puts her foot in his crotch and then he's assaulted with a chocolate mousse, which is literally a chocolate mousse's head. Yeah, it's like that's an amazing visual. That, cho- that chocolate mousse joke, honestly, like that. That just appeals to me on so many levels. It's like because it's like because it's like it's a really really stupid visual joke. It's a really really stupid dad joke. I'm just like, yep, yep. Boxes being ticked everywhere. <laughs> How about some horn? <laughs> but he returns home again, showing his naivety, covered in fucking lipstick, reeking a perfume and Molson, and he, t- he expects not to get into a lot of bother. Yeah, but I didn't do anything. No, of course, and uh, I forgot at this time that fucking... just because I'm dressed like someone who just had sex doesn't mean I am. <laughs> just just because I have the disheveled demeanor, clothes, and smell of someone who has recently had sex doesn't mean that I did it. Your Honor, this is circumstantial. <laughs> I invite you to swab me. <laughs> to your heart's content. Um, now, what does that mean over here? Because in America, swabbing is. 
I didn't realise I just committed a hate crime. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Billy returns home to Carnage because uh, in her infinite wisdom, Kate has picked up uh, what I've got as the ADHD gremlin mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and brought him home, uh, believing him to be Gizmo. Despite the fact that he actually says, I'm not Gizmo. And she has met Gizmo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the years potentially haven't been kind to him. He could have crack. Concussion. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine her picking picking him up and just being like, you've had a hell of a fucking paper round, friend. (laughs) Let's get you home. Yeah, Gizmo at this point is wandering around the air vents like a little hairy John McLean. (laughs) Yep. Uh, But yeah, you're right. He comes home to absolute chaos. And also the arrival of uh, Murray and Sheila Farman. Not dead. The biggest surprise of all is that is that Dick Miller's Murray Futterman was not killed by the snowplow that destroyed his house. You can't kill. I mean, he is dead now. But I guess he, he did last him. a long fucking time. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. You can't kill him apart from that. Started, like, apart from that one time when he died. <laughs> it's really all they need, just the once. Yeah. <laughs> Generally enough. Yeah. Tell that to Nikki Six. <laughs> I've died once. I've been dead, yeah. So I have to. Uh, I was 19 years old. I was in the I mean, army. Obviously, you have to tell us the story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was 19 years old. I was in the army. Uh, I was really bad at it. I was good at the <laughs> job, but I was bad at being in the army. Uh, I got my discharge papers, and everyone in my battalion knew that I hated it, so they threw me a giant party. I drank just two, I mean, a Herculean amount. So, yeah, uh, and the plan was to, like, start drinking at the barracks, go to the sports bar on base. Uh, I did not make it to the sports bar. They put me on my bed, put a trash can next to my head. Uh, my roommate came home from the movies, and I was on the floor covered in various bodily fluids. They took me to the hospital, and my heart had stopped. Uh, and they they resuscitated me and had a bunch of IVs going, and yeah. How long were you dead for? I don't know. Wow. I mean, he's probably not the man to ask. <laughs> yeah, I, you really want an objective expert, not a subjective expert yeah. on that. Uh, you know what? I wasn't checking my watch. I mean, not too long Three because weeks might still be. You know, I mean, I don't think I suffered brain damage, but who knows what I'd be if I hadn't died? Wow. Yeah, been dead. Well, I think that I think that interview- overrated. <laughs> I don't remember seeing a bright light. I think there was just like from what I from what I do recall, there was just nothingness. Okay. Um, in an evening full of firsts, I would say that you are also our first guest uh, who uh, who has been dead. Well, that we know of. Yeah, do you ask? <laughs> um, so, yeah, they basically have to head back to uh, the clamp building. Yeah, the, the objective now is to return a mogwai and collect the correct one. Yes, exactly, exactly. Take your mogwai home yeah. and pretend none of this is happening. <laughs> Uh, they're stopped, but they're stopped by security at this point. Yeah, uh, Rick, I, I love this. I love this. The sadly departed Rick Ducoman, yes, uh, who was also in uh, the Burbs, famously, and uh, had a tiny role in Die Hard. Has a tiny role here again, where uh, a little Mogwai bites his nose off. It's wonderful. It's so great. I know. I, I, I he also he also uh, tries to shoot it like eight times and misses from point blank range. <laughs> Could have been a stormtrooper. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While this is going on, Gizmo uh, is still in the vent, falls into, is it the basement? Don't, Something don't, like that. Don't suppose it matters. But, uh, but ultimately threatened with electrical torture here, just continuing to have a time. Yeah, this is uh, the first really of Gizmo's, tri- the trials of Gizmo. It's essentially, he gets a bit passionate of Christy. Um, in, in terms of torture here we are with the comparisons again <laughs> um, we, I mean we might be discussing peak cinema it all it all, all roads led to Gremlins 2 I mean as this and all roads have since flown from Gremlins yeah. 2 <laughs> yeah. yeah but Billy is bailed 
uh, from prison in the morning because he is arrested, taken away. Uh, he's bailed just as a police fan full of mimes. Uh, he's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, it's one, that's one of those little things where I was like, I want another story. Da, da, yeah, yeah, like, 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 yeah, yeah, like that's that's the deleted scene slash universe building side movie that I want to see. It's like this whole movie is like a backdoor pilot for Joe Dante's mind crime movie. <laughs> 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 Mime Crimes is a great name for that series. <laughs> Didn't that seem like a Londo already like that? I love that though. Like, see, see when you see the, when the van pulling up and all the mimes jump out, one of them just like just does a whole load of miming right in the camera. Um, see, just like I think that there's a lot of really funny sideline stuff in this, particularly just kind of like when you're scooting around the building and you're just seeing like little snippets of things. Do you know what's hilarious? Fred constantly being dressed as Dracula. He's never like. You never see him like just in his jeans or like in the makeup chair. The fact that Robert Prosky's constantly dressed like that tickles me no end for the yeah. whole film. My, uh, I mean, like, I mean, like, not doing, uh, not doing much in service of his dream of being a news anchor, but was, very committed yeah. to being a horror host. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, I love uh, the sideline bit that you get. In fact, it will starts off being a sideline and it turns into absolute chaos. But is a monster look. masquerading as a news anchor? Joe Dante predicting Bill O'Reilly. Love it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about microwaving with Marge, um, mm. uh, noted alcoholic TV chef. She's amazing. Brilliant. I absolutely love this. Everything about it is ridiculous. And but see the, the the fact that as this goes on. And you see her like liberally adding out. It's like it's like oh, you're supposed to use a shot. I'm gonna do a little more. Just like I just have the ball in there. <laughs> and it's like, because she's absolutely steaming. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> some people use like that. <laughs> I use a lot. So Marge has a definite drinking problem. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And 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 giving That's her how a... the microwave habit. You can't trust her with an open flame. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her, like... her breath is like flammable. It's like spraying deodorant on a lighter. <laughs> It's like you're not getting the stove back after last time. <laughs> I read about this How time. many people have to die? <laughs> I read about this time, Mitch. Thirteen bro. orphans, Marge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I read about this time, Billy goes to systems control and he's roundly heckled by the dweebs that man the computers. Yeah. Um, because of the, I guess, the flexibility of the rules around gremlins and how they work. And I think this is very much Joe Dante saying, none of this makes a fucking lick of sense. Let's rip it to bits. Um, but yeah, the, the the rules are elastic, I think is fair to say. Yeah. Particularly the one about eating after midnight, because technically you're always after midnight, what constitutes. Yeah, it's like, it's like don't feed them between 12 and 6. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could go very... One could consider this a meta commentary on Joe looking at the rules of filmmaking. You know, no, you don't have to hit your first act by this page. No, you don't have to have your inciting incident mm-hmm. by this. No, this doesn't have to follow that. Nonlinear storytelling works if it emotionally resonates. Mm-hmm. Sunlight. Gizmo appears to walk quite openly in the daylight, but yet gremlins are turned to skeletons by camera flashes. I, I actually. <laughs> I actually, I actually think that like um uh see because I did I like I I am not a detail oriented person sure a lot of the time uh but like but I think that like if you, uh, generally if I spot logic flaws like that they're kind of like bells that I can't unring and it starts to annoy me more and more and the fact that like you mentioned a couple of these as we were watching it and I was like oh yeah still great though <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I think it says a lot about the fact that like I think that you can be way more forgiving about that stuff if you are sufficiently caught up in what you're looking at. Last I week. think that that's what happened to me when I was yeah. watching this. Yeah. Googly Eyes Mogwai has now become Chowder Gremlin. Chowder Gremlin, yeah, <laughs> pops up in the pot. Yeah. 
<laughs> this is amazing. Like basically everything about the kind of like food fight slash kitchen trashing sequence that comes after it, I just think is amazing. I just like I just love every minute of it. <laughs> Up until this point, you kind of been sitting back languidly in your chair, just kind of watching it, taking your taking the odd note, quaffing your red wine. Yeah. And uh, but when this all happened, you were like, Stop making me sound like so much of a lush. You are a total lush. <laughs> like, anyone who's seen you at a festival knows how much of a lush you are. Uh, but you were like no leaning forward, you had your hands on your knees, and you were so engaged by all this <laughs> madness that kicks off from this point and does not stop until See, the end of the film. My handwriting is illegible at the best of times, but as we get towards the end of this, it just becomes like absolute <laughs> Um and, it's, and it was literally just because I was sitting kind of wrapped and I just kept on trying to write, but I was just like doing like this. Yeah. And, um, yeah well, was... you know, one of Sergio Leone's like main rules was that nothing exists that unless it's on camera. Mm-hmm. And you see it all the time, you know, the you know, camera widening out. Like there's a, there's people standing right here, mm-hmm. but they're not real until the camera, the shot widens out to include them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you have almost Leone meets Looney Tunes where they're not real unless they pop out of the pot <laughs> at the exact right time. Leone Tunes. Leone <laughs> the, the t- There you go. That's, that's the, that's this, uh, yep. that's this episode title. <laughs> <laughs> what you've just done is the equivalent of ratteries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope you know that. So, at the conclusion of microwaving with Marge, probably the most exciting conclusion to any episode of microwaving with Marge. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's really top five. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure. I, mean, I, feel, I feel like Marge has like made some magic. I'm sure there's been a few episodes where she's like fallen over at the end. There's like the Salo episode where it just devolved into an orgy. In the, one where all, <laughs> the one where all those kids died. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we get a very brief uh, segment of more gizmo bullying here as he gets his head jammed in a photocopier. Bright light. That's real torture for gizmo. True torture. Um, but yeah, when the microwave explodes and microwave mumage, the sprinklers come on and we have a, a massive surge in the gremlin numbers yeah. here. So much so that the pest infestation monitor in the control room goes haywire. <laughs> and I was left questioning, what is it exactly that the PIM <laughs> is calibrated to monitor? Because the building's full of people. At all t- I mean, surely not calibrated to deal with smaller things like cockroaches so i'm guessing it's rodents nothing's too small for daniel clamp true nothing yeah. escapes his gaze <laughs> aside from all the things that escape his gaze <laughs> as he stands up there on the roof of his concrete and glass tower the king of all he surveys <laughs> um i love the next kind of custom gremlin that we see who i had down as secretary gremlin the one that's sitting behind the desk typing and then, uh, and then uh, lobs the boiling coffee pot. And Daniel Clamp said, "I I think that she's absolutely amazing. But I the only thing that I like better than the character introduction, where she is screaming letters of the alphabet while she's typing them, is uh, is how she's killed because she's fed through a shredder. Truly horrible, but uh, excellent. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like she burns so bright and so fast." <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, sometimes I love... you have a really good idea for one joke, and you gotta get the hell out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this whole bit to me is excellent. This is the equivalent of uh, Billy's mum in the kitchen. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, which is epic carnage. They, they, they must have been like, right, we need to blow up a couple of gremlins because that's what everyone remembers from the first film. Don't you just want to drink with Joe Dante? I'd love to drink with Joe Dante. Oh, Joe, yeah. if you're listening, get in oh, touch. Definitely is. In fact, he's at HorrorCon in Sheffield in, uh, in May. Oh, cool. Uh, Leonard Matlin appears in Universe here. Leonard Malton. Ah, oh, sorry, Malton. This is the first real kind of meta moment 
Which yeah. I knew you would respond to because you like that shit. I'm a massive sucker for that. That's true. Me yeah. less so, but like, yeah, but like literally, any I could be watching any old garbage, and the minute that it steps out, it's steps outside itself, and it's like, ah, this is a film. It's a weird. It's a film. I'm like, <laughs> tell me more. Well, this, you love this one. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, like, 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 I, like I was already on board, but like the ne- about the next twenty minutes okay. or so. Oh, yeah. when we did okay. the Godzilla episode last week, we talked about the fact that the mayor and his assistant are based on Siskel and Ebert. Yes, and um, they really wished that they had been killed off for giving Roland Emmerich's films bad reviews in the past. This, I feel, Gremlins does that. They take a guy. They have the. They bring the guy who gave the bad review to read his bad review, and then they kill him off. And yeah. that's brilliant. I think that everything about that is great, because I think that it's a funny thing to do, but it's also funny that he was a sport about that as well. Yeah. I love it. Gizmo gets tortured here, but this time by Velcro. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> who, who amongst us hasn't been? <laughs> Some people pay a lot of money for that. I was going to say, look, 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 everyone has their Velcro torture story. <laughs> Now we know his. Um, at this point, uh, I think that like um, there is enough stuff going on at this point that necessitated me just writing "This is absolute chaos." That's fine. <laughs> yep, and we're about to go to the splice of life where everything happens, and it's wonderful because you're introduced here to Vegetable Gremlin. Vegetable Gremlin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Doctor Catherine's giant. I've just been writing notes down points here. And <laughs> I've got Vegetable Gremlin, Doctor Catherine's giant peapod, yep. which is the name <laughs> is the name of that prog album. Yeah. <laughs> By electric <laughs> cheese, Doctor Catherine's giant peepa by electric cheese. That's amazing. This podcast is setting us all on like a new path in life. Yeah, we're gonna have to like come back in three years and just yeah, brain gremlin. Oh, brain gremlin. Wow. Uh, we're, advising, we're advising yeah. all our clients to put all their money in canned food canned and shotgun food and shells. Shotguns. Uh, voiced by the inimitable Tony Randall, um, which. Uh, just elevates the whole thing. Um, yeah. I had him down as academic gremlin. Sure. <laughs> in my notes. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, you saw my face when this happened. Uh, you were I over got, the moon. I, I was fucking overjoyed yep. when that, when it was like, I was like, oh, I guess that gremlin's eating the brain hormone. And then it just disappeared and reappeared with classes and speaking with a British accent. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so wonderful. Uh, like, I could have done with more brain gremlin. Was I could have done. No. Fun, but in no way civilized. <laughs> I would have lost if Brain Gremlin had somehow survived and had more to do. Larry became an He'd be president author. right now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> kind of prefer it. You know, you know, you know he, he, he's the electable Democratic candidate that we can't find. <laughs> now I have like an Andy Kaufman com- comedy project to do when I get back. All right. <laughs> this is a very productive conversation. Everyone is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, We're yeah. getting a lot out of this. Yeah. Bat Gremlin. Yep. Yep. Love it. Um, again, amazing design. Can fly through walls and leave perfect bat symbol. Sure can. Another quick whip round of a couple of other uh, Gremlins, one of which was Salad Bar Gremlin. That's the same guy. That's same guy. Vegetable guy. Vegetable yeah. guy. There's yeah. Not two vegetable Gremlins. Sorry, that would, that would be ridiculous. You're right. That would be some weird rationing for Americans. We generally only do the one. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's me that's the fool. <laughs> um, and also, uh, uh, Stockbroker Gremlin, the one with the. <laughs> that's brain. It's now. not brain Gremlin. <laughs> no. Nope. There's two of them. There's like the no, the, no because a stockbroker is just buy sell oh, yeah. buy right. sell yeah. Right. yeah 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 the I, guy that I freeze framed on because his face is funny yeah all oh, right okay <laughs> that guy yeah but yeah but but literally all he does is just shriek buy sell into a phone while wearing a shirt and tie sure yep uh, Kate comes face to face again with a flasher gremlin and gets her own back finally on him he's deservedly punted into a lion yeah, yeah. <laughs> was that a child's trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> 
it wasn't an adult's trench coat, I'll say that. I have to question a lot of the Gremlins fashion and where they get it from, because at one time they've somehow got a t-shirt that has Gizmo with like a Ghostbusters no yeah. logo for it. Remarkably uh, resourceful for things that just started existing. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I, I would stake my fucking house on there being a T-shirt printing place inside the clamp building. <laughs> I think you're probably right. Yeah, yeah, but like, but like, which chemical did they imbibe in the lab to become graphic design? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, surely the brain villain's got that locked down. And there's also a gremlin later who's dressed seem like a delegator. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, there's a gremlin later this is my favourite conversation I've ever had <laughs> that's a good review there's the gremlin later who's dressed like a biker uh, who gives tattoo who gives Warner Brothers tattoos on the other gremlin's chest Greaser oh. gremlin where do they find I mean you're not really getting small leather daddy biker clothes for, for kids I feel like it's a fair assumption that like all of the warriors tribes are represented in the gremlin mm-hmm. universe <laughs> We just don't see them all. I like that. <laughs> we're we're about to get to uh, what I think is the crowning moment in the film, but um, just before that, we do get a little snapshot of more Gizmo torture. This time, I mean, it is horrible, but it is also funny because it's so over the top when he's tied to the model train tracks. Sure, yes. sure, terrible. We also get possibly the best fire alarm that's ever been in a film. Oh my god, it is amazing. Do you remember this? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, it's so in the good. elevator. Yeah. yeah, no, no, no. The one um, when they the actual trying to evacuate the building and they pull the fire alarm and it goes, starts going like a. Fire! Give her oh, a warp! Yes. Destroyer of forests! Yes. Right now, this building is on fire. <laughs> the Great Leveler. That voice, <laughs> the elevator, the, 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 the voice of the building is just the best. Uh, yeah. Every little bit of that is Amazing. gold. Yeah. Mister, welcome to the men's room. That's <laughs> oh, fucking, that's yeah. unbelievably good. It is roughly around here that it looks like the real kind of burns out. Yeah, but we do get, just before that, a quick blow-through of Murray Futterman killing the back gremlin, which then becomes Gargoyle Gremlin. Yep. Yep, love um, it. Don't need to spend too much time on that. He overcomes his fears. Yeah, but, you know, you know, it, it's an arc. It, 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 it's an arc that spans, it spans two films, and we shouldn't, yep. and, and, you know, we should honour that. Murray and, Futterman probably gets the biggest arc of the, of the whole series. Yeah. Yeah. It's really a shame he won't make it in G3. Yeah. His essence will be felt. I feel like we can honour Murray... Even if he's not in the film. Do you know who I was sad didn't make it in this film? And he's, it's only a fleeting mention. As uh, Rand Peltzer, Billy's dad. Yeah. Um, because I think for the brief time that he's on camera in the first film, Hoyt Axton is incredible as oh, yeah. Rand Peltzer. He's amazing. And I, I would have liked a little bit of Rand <laughs> Peltzer. If Hoyt Axton was still with us, I would have maybe even liked, like one of those weird, like a weird Skype or something in the Gremlins 3, the much vaunted <laughs> Gremlins 3 film, which we'll probably never see the light of day. I just don't feel there's enough clamour for it these <laughs> mm. days. I don't know. I think if it got announced, people would be excited. But yeah, you're right. We're coming to the bit where the film breaks down. Just before that, you, you see camels running through the hallways. You see a gremlin riding a pony, but the gremlin's <laughs> dressed like a cowboy. <laughs> uh, it's it's crazy. Craziness on a, a, on a massive scale. And uh, Dr. Catheter's lost his mind here. He uh, can't yeah. wrap his intellect around what's going on. It's towering intellect. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes. absolutely. Yeah. Can I just mention, I don't know if we touched on it, but that's Christopher Lee. Yeah. That is Christopher Lee right there. And he's pulling a fucking blinder. 
Yep. Yep. As committed to this as he would be anything else. Mm-hmm. Yep. Again, the earnestness of this movie is remarkable. I ca- yeah, I completely agree. I th- yeah. like I like um, and I think that it's kind of something that I'm appreciating more as the more we talk about it. But yeah, um I love this and I get the impression that and you said this when it happened when the when it looks like the film breaks down. Mm-hmm. Uh if if I had been seeing this in the cinema it would have been amazing because like yeah, you see, like you see these the kind of like silhouettes of a couple of gremlins running around and then they start doing shadow puppets and at one point one of them does one that looks like Abraham Lincoln and says four scored in seven years ago. And it's just like, it's absolute nonsense. And it just, but it's just the kind of thing that just like ticks my boxes so hard. Yeah. And like, I, I went and went and then obviously like when, and then at that point you, um, it cuts you, to the sexy nudie volleyball film. Seven. Yeah. Yes, no white. And seven dwarves. Yeah, it's like it goes to the lobby of the theater, and um, uh, a woman is complaining about the fact that uh, Gremlins. She is two... in Gremlins, but she's um, Belinda Belaski, and she plays the same character that she plays in Gremlins One. She's the struggling mum, right? Okay, um, of the two little kids who she's like asking Mrs. Deagle for money, and this one she's playing the same character, to right? Her okay. kids to the cinema, <laughs> yeah, and uh, she's complaining that it's somehow worse than the first one, and all this kind of thing. And it's at that point, it's like, yeah, it's like all they want to do is watch uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, well, Gremlins. First one, yeah, was one of the films most responsible for bringing around the PG thirteen mm-hmm. um, certification in America. Right. Okay. So I'd imagine that what she was raging about was a valid concern. Certainly, when the first film came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have a, a room full of irate cinema goers because their screening of Gremlins two has uh, broken down. Who could say? Who could possibly save the day? Uh, one profe- hero. Uh, yeah, one hero. Uh, a profe- real American, you might say. Prof- uh, professional wrestler and known protector of consumer rights, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Enemy of online journalism. (laughs) (laughs) Gossip this I miss Deadspin so much. (laughs) um, uh, uh, Listen up, Grim dudes. People pay good money to see this movie. Like, I'm sorry, for people that haven't seen this, I mean, like, I think that we really do have to take a minute to actually just touch base with the absolute outright fucking absurdity of what I mean, goes spoilers, here. right? Like, we... No, we oh, we spoiler, assumed... talk, we spoiler talk everything. Okay, right? good, good, good. Every episode is spoiler heavy. <laughs> yeah. That's what I assumed. Yeah. But, yeah. No, no, no we do make that. Clear. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, like, mean, because like this film steps outside itself into the real world and Hulk Hogan is there yeah. in his in-ring attire watching yeah. Gremlins 2 he rips his t-shirt off he does, he does his shtick he threatens the Gremlins sufficiently that they are scared enough to restart the film then he breaks the fourth wall to apologise to the audience and advise them that the film the audience continue. he's in well yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Fuck, that's like one of those things where you like you know you hold the camera to a mirror and it's it goes on wall. forever I don't even know how many walls that Jeez, is like yeah god I have to like, really have to think hard about the physics of this no like Douglas Adams would write about this like which <laughs> <laughs> is like well reality is a construct anyway and we only you know understand what we can process so bah. <laughs> <laughs> the whole film shifts again into a massively high gear here because you get like uh, Fred decides to live his dream and become a kind of renegade anchorman uh, you get, <laughs> still dressed as a vampire yeah still dressed as a vampire he enlists the Gedi Watanabe character the human camera yeah um, and then we go back to the splice of life for more rapid fire gremlin introductions you've got electric gremlin you've got phantom of the opera gremlin yep oh i love i, I love that one <laughs> yeah yeah i love i love the fact that they, like they do not throw that's such a, like a three stooges thing that's brilliant yeah let's not forget crucially greta sexy female gremlin i had her down as gremlet smurfette yeah. yeah 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 also wearing pretty sexy clothes which were presumably again children's fishnets <laughs> the children's uh, leopard print uh, mini skirts. Uh, I mean, honestly, this was a late 80s this, uh, New York. It was just what Show you did. Show me back that then. American Girl doll. 
Please don't, but <laughs> show me that. And by and by show me that I mean don't show me that. <laughs> she takes an immediate liking to Robert Picardo. I guess she's foster, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is fair. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's kinda of the, the, the female like she's so forward, she's like the female version of Marla. Yeah. The um, or the Gremlin version of Marla. The female version of Marla is Marla. Sure. Don't be afraid of what you feel. <laughs> That's not the first time you've done that one, is it? Very forward. I never considered she was a Yoda. I, I realized when I did it, I heard Yoda's voice. Mm. Did Freak Oz do that voice? Mm, Robert Picardo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At this point, Pru went out for Dr. Catheter. He's gone. He is um, electrocuted into oblivion by electric gremlin. Yep. Like, I don't know much, how not, much more there is Not the worst that. death Christopher Lee has suffered on screen. No, 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 no. <laughs> nah, again, like not in the top three. Yeah, I wouldn't say. When Christopher Lee got this job, uh, he apologized to Joe Dante for being in The Howling 2. He was like, like, I'm really sorry I did that film. It's a pile of dog shit. <laughs> uh, and I think, I'd imagine Joe Dante was like, it's fine. Yeah. Presumably they didn't quite reach the, the dizzying heights of what they were going to allow <laughs> Joe Dante to do to bring him back for The Howling 2. Yeah. At this point, Gizmo's had enough. So we get this, like, uh, the first hint of him, uh, like, starting to push back, getting hench. You see yeah, him like uh, lifting yeah. some weights, getting ready, working out. He's had enough. He's had enough of it, of um, being jammed in photocopiers for like um, visual torture and having trains driven into him and that kind of thing. It's time to push back. Um, and he's reminded of the words of John Rambo and Rambo too, uh, who uh, advises to survive a war, you have to become war. And that's exactly what he does. Yeah, he does. Exactly he does. He does. He does. It's a, it's a pretty compelling arc. You think there's a training montage here, but it's spread out over about... <laughs> 15 minutes of screen oh time. Oh my um, god, I wish it was a training montage. I wish though. it had been compressed into one training montage. <laughs> that would have been mighty. And we talked about this, we talked about this off mic, but um, at this point also, beset by technical issues, every show that is shot in branch here is fucked. So uh, the uh, Clamp Cable Network shows its end of days tape rather than like a test card or a technical difficulties thing it just shows its end of the world tape the end of the world tape is terrific i think like i love it it's just like it's 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 i think it's very very funny but also very real very yeah. real apparently this was based on a real something that joe CNN. dante heard yeah of a real end yeah. of the world tape. yeah <laughs> turner uh turner commissioned it for cnn i mean that's wild yeah that's Amazing. crazy like, 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 do, 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 like, do we know when? Like, what, like, was there an identifiable potential cause of the end times at that time? You know, like, was there like a war or was there? Uh, I mean, you know, of, of that generation, I think they all just assumed we'd be nuked to death. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. just, just, just a general like umbrella catch all. Yeah. Thank you and good night video. Something like that. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Nuked to death. Yeah. Nuked. <laughs> <laughs> and then so few things the, are uh, to life. The numerous beaters are starting to have an effect, I think. Also, so few things are nuked into like mild injury yeah. or hospitalization. <laughs> it's a mild nuking. <laughs> uh, Gizmo, not only uh, training and just kind of generally toughening up, uh, I also love the fact that he MacGyvers together a bow and arrow with office supplies. True. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like that's that's awesome. And again, really fucking cool puppetry as well. Yep. Like just like Paper really, clip, really cool. Elastic band, pencil, bottle of Tipex. Matchstick. That's it. That's all you need. That's yep. it. Do Ready this. for war. Rambo headband. Let's uh-huh. not forget. Well, you gotta have your branding. That's it. Sure. Spider Gremlin. Brief glimpse. Powerful stuff. Uh, Grandpa Fred is thriving here. Like, you know, like, 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 like his guerrilla career in uh, serious journalism is flourishing. Like, like between him going and doing uh, these, these kind of like off book, off piece newscasts. And now he's interviewing Brain Gremlin. This is actually couch. great. Like the 
content of what Brain Gremlin says is really, really good. Like, about the nature of civilization and mm-hmm. the nature of and how gremlins as a species fit into that. Yeah. It's really, really good. I, I love the fact that, like, I think that this says a lot about the standard of writing, I think, because this could quite easily have been a throwaway joke. And the only reason that it isn't is because such care is given to what they actually give him to say. And it's so, so effective. Like, I, I really, really love it, actually. Even yeah. to the moment where he that, shoots the little guy. I can totally, by the way, I can just feel myself just, like, warming up to this film so much as we talk about it. Like, yeah. it's, like, it's genuinely, potentially the most this has happened in the moment anytime we've talked about a film. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think It's I, really I, fun. Like, I've shown this to a few people, and, you know, often, especially as I've gotten older and, and they've been older, somebody in their 30s or 40s watching this for the first time you know, it, 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 as somebody who loves this, and I, I talk about it often, and I wear it on my on my on my my sleeve. I have friends who you know I'll put it on, and they're just like, oh god, like I'm gonna think less of my friend, aren't I? And then half hour, whatever, in it's like, oh, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think a big thing about Gremlins that the divisive thing about Gremlins too is the thing that I disliked about it in the first instance when I watched it. Is the tonal that, departure is that tonally they are very different films with. Yeah kind of crossover characters so many times though i think that like that's why so many times i think people um pick sequels mm-hmm. when they come on the show because i think that like it's one of those things where if a really offbeat or kind of uh like a sequel that feels like a kind of, re- of a reaction to what came before it and stuff like that it's like i think that like so much of the time in the moment you'll watch it and people will react negatively to it because it's not what you expected it to be mm-hmm. and i actually think that like regardless of what it is whether it's music whether it's uh, whether it's film, whatever it is, I think that if anybody follows up anything, I think that it's like quite arrogant to expect it to be anything. Yeah. Like I feel like I think that like um uh if somebody does something that is completely like you know I, like bands abruptly changing direction or sure. something like that, it's like I mean if you don't like it then fair enough, but I think that it's like very arrogant to install your opinion as what they should do. Right. And I think and so much of the time I think that one of the reasons why we get so many sequels on the show is because a lot of the time after some time passes and there's a little bit of breathing room between what the film is and your expectations for the film and you can watch it a little bit like um a little bit separated from that i think that like that's when like second waves of appreciation for things like this tend to happen well and that's it's really one of the greatest things about film festivals is that it's one of the best contexts for watching a movie with no expectations you know anything else you're kind of making a choice if it's on netflix you're seeing a thumbnail or description you know a person there's there's usually a thing but a film festival especially one like fried fist glasgow which has one screen you know you're seeing whatever's there yeah you're trusting the curation of this team yeah that they're going to give you something interesting and you get to just surrender to it or not. Yeah, yeah. I feel the exact same way about um, Fred Fest Glasgow's and Celluloid Screams and Sheffield is the same. It's like, I'm win, lose, or draw. I'm going to be in watching this movie, so I'm not going to. I'm like, I'm just, I'm going to fly blind. Yeah. And I, I did that a lot. I did that with the Ghost Waves. But yeah. 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 Spider Gremlin uh, ensnares both Kay and Marla after they have what is actually quite an unremarkable reunion. He snares them in his web. I would have liked Kate to be a little, to push back a little bit more against Marla, but she's. She's Kate. She's small town Kate. She kind of just lets my love away with it's it. It's also just like, I can't believe your lipstick was on my boyfriend. And one of those attitudes basically, yeah, just his cheek. It's not like you found it when you took off his pants. Like, <laughs> shut up. That's a hard, that's a hard <laughs> lipstick mark to, uh, to explain away. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, a buffalo. Well. It's New York, honey. What do you want? We're off kissing everybody. <laughs> There's um, a spider gremlin. Bigger problems. Come on, Kate. I um I don't want to blow past the fact that uh one of my favorite really really stupid moments in it is uh is it it's it's uh it's Daffy right? 
the marathon man the marathon man reference when he's uh when the 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 dental tours are seen with um billy with billy thank you uh yeah like uh when he's kind of like when he screams is it safe like i lost my mind that was so funny like i mean like at this point i mean like i think at this point if you're trying to talk about this as like a linear chain of events then it's like very hard to at this point because like at this point this film has just descended into absolute madness yes and it's and it's like i say it's very hard to talk about in a kind of like linear plot way like we often do on this because like it's, it's kind basically of like the it's just a of requiem for a dream where you're just like and this is going on this is going on this is going on and like i don't, i just remember how i feel <laughs> gremlins, gremlins 2 requiem for a dream another one but like yeah I, 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 like like at this point yeah i mean like you are just watching like this insane and incredibly appealing but absolutely insane batch of unassimilated craziness that is just yeah. happening all over the place to kind of pull things as linear as we can yep the spider gremlin is offed by gizmo and his tipex firebomb um, and then a uh, kate Tipex Firebomb's a good punk man there. Yeah. <laughs> fuck's sake. He, he tries to deliver another bleak monologue, but is cut short. Thank fuck. Which yeah. I think is a great, a great moment where they're like, okay, we don't have time for this shit. Not this time. Gremlins, what I will say, between this and the first film, they know how to party. Mm-hmm. Right? They love a pub. They love a drink. They love I, a, to gamble. I don't know how many times I've watched this movie, and I still watch that ending just like, God, the puppetry. Yeah, the amount ocean. The amount of gremlins on screen at any given moment. The only other moment that kind of rivals it is round about the time where Kate kicks a flash of gremlin in the dick. Yeah. Like there's people falling all over the place with gremlins on them. They're hanging <laughs> off like balconies. Like there's a whole swarm of them. One of them's a vegetable guy, and he's, he's just shouting. Rah, he's just kind of barking at them. Rah, rah, rah. And just the sheer number of gremlins on screen is mm-hmm. crazy. To think that yeah. every one of them's got someone underneath, like. I mean, and I, I understand I'm a dumb person, but like, hey, the come that, on, man, that <laughs> idea, like that achievement. I don't know why, but it makes me think of the, like the sand in Lawrence of Arabia when he's walking, and like how many second takes time. it took. I know second time, <laughs> but like, just I remember watching it, and and like it was one of the first times I really understood filmmaking. Yeah, of like they did multiple takes. People had to go out and like smooth the sand, and that's such a remarkable achievement for not something that's meant to be noticed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we should pull this together because we're pretty much we're pretty much at the end game here. We are. Uh, yeah. The actual set piece for how the uh, gremlins are ultimately vanquished is pretty impressive, although I don't necessarily understand the mechanics of it because I was taking loads of notes. So basically, right. there was loads of water, then a lot more of them, and then a lot of electricity, right. and then everyone died. So original- if somebody can if somebody can pull that in a little bit more. I can explain it for you. The original plan was that they were going to put up a Broadway stage set that looked like nighttime and put the clocks forward so that the gremlins would amass in the lobby with a view to moving out into New York City. They would then drop the banner and the sunlight would flood in and melt the gremlins down. Now, as you may remember, there's a moment where the sky darkens. I I want that one. Yeah. But carry on. But you see see the, the banner, you see all that stuff. There's a moment where the sky darkens the and that plan is in the bin. And it's at that point that Billy, because he's, he's smart, he's a smart he's a smart kid, smart smart young guy from a small town, sure. makes a decision to transfer the electric gremlin, which has been on hold for a long time in Daniel Clamp's telephone in his office, <laughs> transfer that to the lobby, shower... Which somehow no one else has tried to make a phone call to 911 or no, something. No, <laughs> no, no way. No way, not at all. 
shower the gremlins oh. with water from a fire hose, yeah, which sure. sounds on the surface like a pretty preposterous idea. Murray Futterman makes a, a, a face to indicate his alarm. Um, oh yeah, oh, no, he's he he he's um he, he he's kind of a uh, very visibly tuned into the folly of the entire enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> but then the plan is to introduce the electric gremlin into the fray in the hope that he will go. Oh, I'm going to multiply. I'm going to play with my pals. I'm going to move out into New York City. Fortunately, it works without a flaw. And, uh, Diesel. Yeah, yeah. The the electric gremlin uh, does its bit, and the other gremlins are melted down into amorphous puddles of green slime. Yep. Fred and Katsuji are reporting from bins, which is very funny. I love that. All but one. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, Can I just say, by the way, people who are listening to this that haven't seen the film do not stand a fucking no, chance. No. <laughs> <laughs> See some of the melty stuff as well, by the way, right at the end. Amazing. Like some of that, there's like reverse stuff going on and there's yep. like just buckets of gunge pulled over. Yeah. Like what look like just gremlin skeletons. Yeah. It, all that stuff together is just excellent. And then the- and, and Daniel Clamp finally comments on, on what you guys have pointed out, which is that uh, Fred has been doing all this dressed as Dracula <laughs> and uh, should probably get a suit. <laughs> like, 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 it's like yeah, yeah like it's 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 one of the it's one of the few heroes endings that kicks around in here is that he gets his dream job as the anchor and he's like yeah get this guy a makeover. One of my favorite things is do you notice when a clamp comes in at the end with a SWAT team like there's this kind of running <laughs> gag throughout the film where the doors don't work properly in the building and they keep trying all the doors to get in and they can't get in they wind up running away around and coming in. Uh, I just think that's a very oh yeah a very simple little joke that's carried on through the film that. You might not notice in the first watch, mm. but it's there. We, we yeah, we slap we slap some pretty convenient bows on this. Yeah, um, Marla and Clamp fall in love at first sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. Because she works very hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, very hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Clamp, yeah, like, How say, about some horn? Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, like they're definitely they're definitely going to go back for some chocolate mousse. Uh, Clamp gives Fred his dream anchor job, yes. as we discussed. Um, he's also going to apparently build an exact replica of um, Kingston Falls. Of Kingston Falls, uh, like, there as a like, mall. In fact, you know what? I was wrong in my synopsis. Nonsense descends on capitalism. But capitalism wins. It does, yeah. 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 I suppose but it ultimately does, yeah. Capitalism yeah. wins with a kind heart, ultimately, because his plan is to make something for the people. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. He, oh, but saying that, on the other hand, he plans to monetize Gizmo. Right. That is also true. Which yeah, yeah. is fair, because that's been happening for the last four years. In the world, <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Like He talks about suction cup gizmos, and yeah. you've been able to get them for a long time. Absolutely, yeah. And our final loose end is tied up as Smurfette Gremlin approaches Foster in a wedding dress, and he looks quite a bit like they're going to bang. He's 100% going to fuck that Gremlin. Yep. 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 No two yep. ways about it. It's a really interesting thing to make the final shot of the film. <laughs> Have fun, kids! Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> It's a very weird choice to keep a gremlin alive who a minute ago was in the lobby. She gets a part of the kind of final number. But to have yeah. her then up away up on the top floor in a wedding dress, um, about to be banged by a, a willing human man wearing well, sock suspenders. And one one wonders, is this is this the BMG three, a hybrid of Foster and Grimlet? Oh my god. Oh my god. Mitch, question. Yes. Greta. Would you Fuck off, no! <laughs> Why do you always do this? <laughs> um, and with that, we're out on Gremlins 2. Um, Adam, this was a great, great choice. Great choice. Um, Can I just awesome. say, great yeah. to have Frank Welker, who did the voice of Stripe, come back to play Mohawk in this and do uh-huh. the exact same voice. 
and Howie Mandel uh, of mm-hmm. America's Got Talent fame to come back <laughs> and play Gizmo. Like, Not Babby's World over here? No, these are the, no, no, okay. no, 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 no. Okay. no. Uh, <laughs> these are the unsung heroes of the piece because yeah. some of the voice work uh, for the Gremlins is some of the stuff they say is hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it should be noted. It's it's strange when you make a movie, like the stuff you find yourself falling in love with. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Stuff that you never, like you never cared about early on, but you spend like, years of your life working on something you're just like i care deeply about this <laughs> random aspect yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah i mean I, I i like say i hadn't seen this uh which now feels crazy to me like yeah. uh, i get the impression this is something that i like i would have loved if i'd seen it when i was younger and a lot of the time when people pick things that they kind of have this kind of childhood attachment to watching it without that uh, as an adult for the first time mm-hmm. can it can be very difficult to get on board with yeah, the about, things about it about to... and in fact i would say a lot oh yeah of... i didn't recommend flight of the navigator but like um but uh but this one i found very easy to get caught up in and like um and I'm again it's like, i mean gremlins was like a universe i checked out of basically when i was about nine and it's like yeah. and it's something that i haven't really revisited since you then. should and it was like i probably should and it's like but um but i found personally that um by the time that all the meta stuff happened which is just like fucking mana from heaven for me i love that shit yeah, so much but like fucking total catnip to you it really is it really is but like um but even before then i was kind of like i was sold pretty hard on it it's like yeah. I, I think that it's like considering it's like um it really does descend into just like absolute just uh absolute chaos and it's like but it's one of those things that i just like i got on board with it very early and just never stopped enjoying it like it's just like really really great call i'm really glad that i've seen it um so yeah thank you for that you're welcome andy um you've seen this a million times but if you have, any concluding yeah. comments yeah i just want to say i'm it's not a film I revisit often. I do have it. In fact, it was my DVD that we, you and we I watched. watched. Yeah, man. But uh, occasionally, the moment will arise. Every Christmas I watch Gremlins. Me and my wife watch it. It's one of the, it's, it's in rotation yeah. at Christmas. Um, this film doesn't really get a look in quite so often. I don't know if it's because <coughs> part of me still holds that bias towards the original Gremlins. But then something like this comes up when I'm... I wouldn't say I'm forced to watch it, but there's a requirement for me to watch it. And then I'm like, fuck, that's such a good film. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's such a good film. It should be. It must be mentioned in the same breath as Gremlins. But it's that crazy overachievement that Gremlins 2 has yeah. from the minute it decides to get going to, to have the audacity to start with Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck having a fight. And then end with uh, Daffy Duck berating me for still watching the credits. Yep. Yep. Yeah. By the way, again, Jerry Goldsmith's score, which plays all the way through that, that same interminable theme as yeah, it's excellent and it's just a really mad charming film amazing performances amazing puppetry and it never feels fake no the world and everything in it feels real you feel invested in it and you just want the best for gizmo and billy and kate and they're they're genuinely relatable lovable characters that i would happily watch a third one yeah if you can get Phoebe Cates out of retirement, and I feel like <laughs> Joe Dante makes films from a child, like kind of from a child's heart. Yeah, like even things like The Howling and Piranha, they're made in a real kit. They've got a real lightness and a childishness and a playfulness to them yeah. that not many other filmmakers have got. Like, and I think that's why he found it so seamless to do kids' films like, uh, yeah. like what was it, Holes? The whole that was holes, the, the, the whole, other yeah, film, yeah. not the whole that we talked yeah. about on this show. Yeah, the no, other no. one. I just think he's a really interesting filmmaker whose films I think they defined a certain part of my life in the yeah. same way that Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis did yeah oh, um, 100%, yeah. I just love this and again I'm, I'm, I'm just so glad to get a chance to revisit a film that I don't revisit often enough but yet weirdly I have the novelization for <laughs> sure. um, until I steal it 
<laughs> but, oh my god it's gone and he's away to America stop Americans really are the worst and I can't even go over now there's a ban yeah it's true yeah yeah you got you, you got 30 days head start <laughs> uh, Adam we can't let you go without talking about ghost weights yes um, so amazing reception out of Glasgow Fright Fest um, yeah. which yeah. you were saying earlier um, that was something that kind of came as a surprise to you or like maybe not a surprise but kind of like something that you were kind of a little bit kind of blown away by yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about, because um, obviously you said you, sh- you shot this film a few years ago now, um, and if you want to talk about how the idea came together, how the film came together. Basically the whole the, the film the came journey together. of yeah. how we are sat here today. Yeah, how, yeah. how you're sat here talking to me and him. Uh, yeah. So start, start from the day that you came up with the idea and finish with you being in the car on the way to this podcast. <laughs> So this started, uh, McLeod Andrews, who's the, the, the lead of the movie and my... Who's my, brilliant, my producer. Yeah, he's amazing. He's my best friend and producing partner and everything. Um, we spent 20, uh, most of 2015 trying to make another movie. Right. And just couldn't raise the money. <clears throat> and then, so at the end of the year, I didn't really know what to do next. I couldn't mm-hmm. get hired anywhere. I tried to get a job at Subway and couldn't. The sandwich. Yeah. As a sandwich artist. Yeah. Right. And so once that became like, I just don't know what I'm going to do next. So I went back to uh, Northern Kentucky, which is where I'm from. And Cincinnati, Ohio is right there. It's the same general area. I was visiting some friends and I'm not a video game person, but mm-hmm. they are. And they wanted me to play this game called PT. Oh, yeah. Is... Yeah. I've played PT. That was the, the Silent Hills kind of yeah. demo. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. It's a first person haunted house kind of puzzle game. And while I was playing it, I had them cracking up laughing. And at some point, I realized that there might be a movie in a person like me dealing with a haunted house. You know? <laughs> okay. You know, where it's just like the baby, you know, the weird random noises happening. You're like, no, I'm just not going to check that out. Like, nah, I have all the time in the world to not go where the dead things are. Uh, <laughs> and then while I was thinking about that, I saw a webcomic called Saturday Morning Breakfast Cereal. We, uh, in in this specific one, a man and a woman are talking. The man asks the woman, "What do you think is the most American film ever made?" And she says, "Ghostbusters." And he says, "Ghostbusters is the most American movie." She said, "Yeah, here's this movie where you have demonstrable proof of an afterlife, and the whole thing is about growing a small business and navigating bureaucracy." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, "Well, that's hilarious," but like, I want to see that movie. Like, uh, and so the idea of you know being confronted with, oh, so. Like, in Afterlife is Real, I have so many questions. Yeah. So that started banging around my head. And one of the investors that we had met trying to make the other movie w- remained really excited about making something. And so he uh, he was talking to a mutual friend of ours. And that friend said, well, I think Adam just had this idea for, like, a weird haunted house thing. And so we hopped on the phone. And he said, uh, I'll give you this amount of money. It's not a, not a large amount of money, mm-hmm. but it's money. Money, yeah. Um, and... Uh, my mom had said, you know, she and her husband, she, they had said, you know, when you have a number, let us know. And if we can help, we will. And so I had the number from him. I called my mom. I said, this is the number. Uh, a couple of days later, after they talked to their accountant, she called back and she said, we can do that. And I had the budget for uh, principal photography on my first film. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I was at a bar with my friend Brian and I got that call and I cried. And we had some drinks, and then yeah, I love that. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's so great. I love that. And so I was in the rare position of having a budget for my first independent feature and not a script, uh, and I had to write the thing really quick. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it was written really quickly. No, it wasn't really. The ending that that you guys saw is mm-hmm. not the original ending. Okay, um, 
Now, the original ending was never shot because right. uh, the original ending didn't feel right. Like even when okay. I came up with it, like this doesn't feel like what this movie should be. Mm-hmm. And I was in Austin, Texas, visiting uh, my sister and her ex-husband, who remains a friend of mine. And so that the first night, he and I were going to hang out. He had like three movies to show me. We watched the first one, and then we stopped, and uh, we were having some bourbon, and I or whatever we were having. And I said, "Yeah, I'm working on this thing, and I, I, I don't quite know where it's like. It's not quite right." And so we talked about it for a while, and he actually helped uh, the character of Rosie, who's the younger ghost. Yeah, uh, is holy like he came up with like, what if it's like an all about Eve thing, and. That gave me kind of the path towards, you know, that aspect. And it, it, it brought in the scope just a little bit so that when I was back in, in Kentucky, I was my, my then girlfriend and I were hanging out having a couple of drinks. And the song that ends the movie, mm-hmm. we'd just seen a show by the band that did that. Is that, did that. Is that years go by? Yeah. So it's, a, it's such a lovely song. Yeah. yeah. Oh, They're so. The Bangsons is the yeah. band. Yes, yeah, Bangsons. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I shazammed it when I rewatched it when you yeah. sent me the screen. <laughs> you should listen to our song Bells, too, from the same album, 100 okay. Days. Oh, God. But uh, we were sitting there having drinks and talking about something. And just in my head, I had the garage and that song. And I was like, oh, my God, I know how the movie ends. And once I had that, then it became, okay, let me write to this. Okay. You know, we shot in, uh, in August 2016, and it was 12 days, six days on, two days off, six days on. Uh, Natalie, we brought her in from New York, and so once, once we were done with that, and, uh, you know, it's funny. So we, we did that, like I said, August 2016, heat wave. Uh, the house didn't have air conditioning. We ended up getting, like, a couple window units from, like, a church and a rental-owned shop. Sure. And tripping the circuit constantly. Um, but then when we wrapped, I went and like slept for a week. And then my girlfriend dumped me two weeks after we wrapped. And oh, I just like put everything that. down for a while yeah. and dealt with that. And then when I was finally ready to pick it back up, cut to go to the assembly. Uh, the assembly cut was an hour and 50 minutes. And wow. Yeah. And I remember like, and I, I watched it and I was like, oh shit. I think I made a bad movie. Oh. Um, but the, but the ending always worked. Right, yeah. The cut you ended on comes in at like 79. 79 yeah. minutes, 11 seconds. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so like, it's like okay, this thing is bad, but the ending worked. And so it, it just became kind of like, all right, let's tighten this up. Let's let's get to... And, you know, this scene suddenly would start working and this scene... And it came to a point where like from minute 34 on was good, but we didn't <laughs> earn the first 33. Right. So that's when we did the first set of pickups. And that solved a lot, but it didn't solve everything. And we hadn't planned to do any more pickups. And, and then, like, we're, we were getting notes. And at some point, McCloud and I were talking about notes. And I was like, no, but, like, they don't understand. It does this. Oh, crap. It doesn't do that. <laughs> I think we need to do some more reshoots. And uh, we went back. And it was so much fun because the, like, personal photography, you know, not a large crew. Mm-hmm. Crew of six, probably. Mm-hmm. When we went back, it was just us. It was just McLeod and me. And it was so much fun to make a movie that way, to just to get into a space and play and experiment, you know, and just we, but also, I mean, I would not recommend making a movie entirely this way because we knew we were reacting to something. Right. You know, we, we knew what worked and we knew what didn't. And even when we didn't know exactly what would make what didn't, you know, into something that worked, the two of us 
operate on a similar frequency. Mm-hmm. We tend to find the same thing, same things interesting. And when you find that, it, it means everything because suddenly you have that other part. You have, I don't know how to say it. You have somebody else who's, they make you feel less alone. They, yeah. they speak your language. Yeah, share language. You know, and suddenly you just you're like, yeah, we can do this. And the the scene, the second dream when he's talking to himself, oh yeah, mm-hmm. is the last thing we shot. Okay, and it's because uh, this movie used to have a talking dog in it. Um, <laughs> what the dream? <laughs> the dreams were nuts, and the dreams did not work. But we couldn't figure out what did work. Right. And then we finally had that idea, and we did a really quick camera test to make sure we could pull off the effect. But we didn't know where to shoot it. And we'd been in this house for years now. And then the guy was like, oh, what about the attic? And he like opens up the door and we're like, you had this? Like, the whole movie? Like, what? How is this just coming to light? And so we set it up. But then there was a storm. And there's no insulation. So you just heard the rain. So McLeod was going to fly out. I think it was like a Sunday morning. He was flight, his flight was at 11. And it was going to stop raining Sunday morning. So we got up at 6 to go up and shoot that at like 7.30 in the morning before he flew out back to L.A. That's fucking great. I mean, um, it's just nuts. I, I, I really like the film. I really yeah, I, I thought it was great as well. I only watched it today for the first time. I, I couldn't make the screening in Glasgow, but yeah. 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 Well, you know, and I mean, you know, we, we really, we wear our, uh, you know, it's a very low budget. Yeah. And we, we, we wear it on our, our sleeve, both sleeves and our collar. And one of the things that I kind of found in, in doing it, um, there's have you guys seen Shut Up and Play the Hits, the documentary about the LCD, LCD sound system? Yeah. There's a moment where James Murphy's talking to Chuck Klosterman, and he's like, he's like, yeah, like David Bowie seems like a, like he's from Mars, and Nick Cave is this mythic figure. You can't imagine these guys like checking in for a flight or stubbing yeah. their toe. And he wanted to make a band that you know they you know people could look at me like, oh, I can do that. And, and one thing when you're making something at this, when you're making a feature, especially at this level, uh, your first feature, you have to show that you can finish a feature yeah. and then you can make something that works emotionally. And it doesn't have to work constantly, you know, but you have to show that like, okay, this person has something to say. Now, if you're given the remarkable privilege of a real budget, yeah, you've got to make a real movie. But if you're someone like us or uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead yeah. or, or uh, you know, Kevin Smith... You know, you, you just have to make something that people look at and say, like, I want to see more from this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just keep people interested enough to see what you do Yeah. Next. The other thing of it, though, is that growing up in Northern Kentucky, as uh, my generation, I'm, I'm 41 years old. I, you know, my I kind of grew up the last generation without the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so growing up as a kid who loved movies in a place that didn't get many, you know, I would read the year-end stuff. I would read all, you know, these magazines and make lists of like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And I got to look for this at, you know, the, the store or whatnot. And wanting to make a movie, it felt like the moon. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, these people say like, oh, if you want to make a movie, just go make one. But then you look at a movie and you're like, but I can't do that. And so because we were working at such a low budget level, I kind of wanted to lean into it and make something that a kid like me could look at and say, well, I can do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it works emotionally, and it makes you laugh, it makes you cry, but it also hopefully emboldens those who need that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what punk is to me as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I always call absolutely. this my punk album. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, Adam, this has been a blast. Amazing. It's been so much fun. This Thank you, great, man. man. Thank I you love for this. coming over and, yeah. and doing this. This has been I'm brilliant. so glad we were able to put it together. Uh, yeah. Particularly glad we were able to do it in person. That's, yeah. like, that's great. Um, 
before we finish up where can people get you social media wise I on Twitter at Adam Stovall, mm-hmm. S T O V A L L. Instagram not Adam S. <laughs> okay. And then actually, if I can, uh, I'm on Facebook, but that one's private. Sure. Uh, but if I can say, my dad had a stroke in early November. Okay. Oh, really? And okay. I mm-hmm. had to go and kind of help with his recovery. Uh, I live in New York. Uh, he he had a stroke in Ohio, and then went to Texas with my sister, and so I was out of town for a while. Mm-hmm. And when I got back to New York, I discovered that some, uh, somebody had broken into my apartment, and they stole my camera and sound equipment. Shit. So I have a GoFundMe, um, and I would really appreciate it. Uh, it's ta- it's the pin tweet on my Twitter account. Right. It's in my bio on Instagram. We'll we'll share it. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah, share that it. would really, be really we'll, cool. We'll put something in as well. Uh, yeah, but no, happy that to do was, that. Yeah, thank I mean, you very much. That's fucking bollocks. Uh, yeah, that's, was, a, that's a really shitty thing to happen yeah. under exceptionally shitty circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, yeah, we'll we'll um we'll absolutely definitely happy to do that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Twitter and Instagram. I try to be as res- as responsive as I can be. Uh, yeah. Adam, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, man. This has been amazing. Well, I don't mind telling you, Andy, that's one of the most fun chats we've had in a while. I absolutely love that. And you know what? I love having a guest in person. That was absolutely lovely. And massive thanks to Adam for taking time out of his schedule to come and join us to do that. Hours before he has to fly back to America. Yeah, a very cool thing to do and very generous with his time as well. Amazing. We, yeah, did, keep very, him, very cool. uh, we did keep him in beer, though, so... This is true, but a big thank you to Adam Stovall, director of A Ghost Waits, for joining us tonight to talk Gremlins 2, the new batch. <laughs> yes, thank you, Adam. And uh, I guess with that, we're done for another one. Yep, just like that. They're, they're dropping like flies. This is it, yeah, exactly. No, we're motoring through, and we will be back, of course, on Monday with another mini-sode for your ears. All the usual stuff going on there. We will be talking about what we've been watching. I'm going to have a couple of things to talk about, I think. Okay, good. That's positive. I think I'll try and watch something. That'd be nice, yeah. <laughs> uh, we will, of course, also be taking a look at your feedback and we'll be playing Mitch's Pitches. We'll be telling you everything you need to know about this week's episode as well, which I think is going to be another fun one. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like ideally. <laughs> in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, there are, of course, loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram, we're Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet as well at Strong Violent PC and you can also email Scenes at gmail.com. Yep, and we've got a website. Mm-hmm. That's it. (laughs) There's stuff there. Go and look at it. (laughs) We are back this Monday from Ministode 95. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of judge. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.